right, so everybody just shout the name of Jesus real quick. Okay, here we go. Let me, let me, let me just take the last few minutes here. I, wanna, I want to uh, continue in my series. I will get you out of here on time. I will share from my heart. I want you to, um, to know that this last series has been really interesting because we're dealing with things that give us things to act upon. We were chatting earlier, and all of us this morning are feeling a level of conviction um, on the word, and I think that's, that's how it should work. There should be a level of conviction. But just in, uh, in review and for context, as I do every week, I'll, do, I'll make it quick. But we're in a series called The Questions of Jesus. Now, the questions of Jesus in the New Testament are very important. Uh, once I got into this, I realized that there had been a couple of books written on the subject I didn't know about. Um, I, I realized that there is a uh, there is a, a teaching out there that I have not necessarily been a part of or received from that, that has to do with how Jesus asks questions. In the New Testament, Jesus is far more likely to ask you a question than he is to give you an answer. And the reason is because he's a good parent. He's a good father. And as a parent deals with a child, oftentimes you will ask the child a question trying to see if they know the answer or if they can come to the answer on their own. We have to make sure, see, what Jesus wants to do is he wants us to learn things and understand things and come to the conclusions on our own. He wants us to internalize it. Anybody can re repeat something. Uh, we can make young people memorize scriptures. Did you memorize your scripture this week? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that that scripture was internalized. It means that, it means that they, they memorized it because it's a part of a program or, or a part of something we're doing with kids. I get it, but how many of you know the Word of God is like a seed, and the seed has to be planted in the good soil. It has to be internalized. It has to be watered by the Holy Spirit, and when it is, something begins to grow. So Jesus uses questions in the New Testament more than he does anything else. Every story, every parable, every experience that Jesus had is, is uh, laced with a question to somebody in the crowd. The first time we see Jesus at 12, he asked his parents a question. Did you, know, did you not know that I had to be at my father's work? At the end of the story, when he goes to heaven, he says, he, he bookends with a, with a question. He says, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asks a question. And there's more than, there are 300 questions throughout the New Testament. He constantly is asking us something to try to get us somewhere. He only answers a couple of questions in the New Testament. He only directly answers three, maybe four, depending on how you, how you interpret it. He only answers four questions when people ask him. He's cut, do you know how frustrating that must have been for, like, for Peter? Because you know, a lot of it was directed at him, poor guy. I mean, I'm glad he went through it because we have a Bible now. But, but every time he asked Jesus a question, Jesus would say, say Peter, and he would ask a question. That must have been so frustrating. I've decided to take on the ministry of Jesus in my family with my children. I no longer, as of today, I'm no longer going to answer any of their questions. I'm going to answer every question with a question. And because I'm the father, I have to say nothing else. We'll see how it goes. But Jesus wants us to, to come to some conclusions. And it's incredibly apparent in the New Testament. Now, there's 12, there are 12 questions out of the over 300 that he asked. There are 12 questions that become a grid by which we view the kingdom of God. You can learn a lot in the king, about the kingdom by trying to answer the questions. And we talked about how we, we're, we're people of questions in our relationship with Christ. And, and sometimes we wish that we could ask him something and he would just give us the answer. Give me the answer, Lord, because it would be easier. 
But that's not how God works. And so we started this series out with a statement which was, it actually comes from a poem written a long time ago that goes something like this. When you don't have the answer, live the question. That's why Jesus said, I can't answer everything for you right now, but why don't you follow me and you'll find out in time. When you don't get the answer, live the question because in that, there's something that you discover about Christ and your relationship with him. And today, one of those 12 questions, now as I, as I hit this quickly, I want you to understand if it gets quiet in here, that's okay. Um, none of the questions are easily answered and many of them have to do with our heart and how we think. Today's question is, is no different. I'm going to be speaking from Luke uh, chapter 6, and the question that we're going to be dealing with uh, just for a few minutes here is, if you love only the ones who love you, what credit is that to you? It's one of those questions that, that shapes, it should shape the kingdom of God. If you only love, it, it's kind of like, who are you looking for, Jesus said. In other words, what Jesus do you want me to be? The Jesus that does what you say? The Jesus that gets molded and shaped by the Pharisee? Like, which Jesus are you looking for? Because I'm only one Jesus, so, so you need to take me as I am, just as I'm going to take you as you are. Or any of the other questions, they, they all shape the kingdom. He says, if you only love people because they like you, or they give you stuff, or the people that you are, if you only love those who you no love you, that is not a difficult thing. So let, let me just set this up. So Jesus is having a conversation in Luke chapter 6, and he says to these guys, he says, hey guys, listen, I want to say something to you. If, if you only love your friends, that's easy. It's easy to love the people that you're friends with right now. The problem is that when something happens that can ruin the friendship, if love is not defined the way that Christ defines it, then the love that you have for your friends goes from being easy to being difficult and we lose friendships. It's incredible to think that in the kingdom of God that friendships should actually last the rest of your life. He says, if you only love the people who love you and you're friends with, that's easy. It's amazing to me, if I may just for a moment, it's amazing to me how in church, Church people can, no, I want, I want to say this to you. I know that it happens and I've experienced it. But it's amazing how we can hold the Bible, love the Bible, and, and understand the Bible, but we can lose friendships in the kingdom of God. All right? It, it's, it's incredible to me. It's incredible to me that we can allow something to get in the middle of relationships that can actually destroy a relationship in the kingdom of God for the rest of our lives. I don't believe in it. The problem is, is that there is a kind of love that is so powerful and so dramatic that it actually becomes the, the, the barrier breaker, the wall destroyer, and, it's, and it only comes from Christ. You see, what, this is what happens. People will actually say, I don't want to go to church, and I don't like church because church is full of hypocrites. And they look at TV, and they look at the media, and they say, look at what happened. Look at what happened. Look at what happened, what's happening in the Catholic Church. Look at what happened to that pastor on television, and we see the media. And they, people will make a judgment about us 
because of what they see in the media. But if you're in the church, the media does not actually bother you because you understand that we all make mistakes and by the grace of God, we'd all be in trouble. But what does bother you and what does get to you is when a husband and wife don't get along, when a brother and sister break relationship, when you and, you and a friend have a disagreement about something. There is something that happens inside of the church that you never see in the media, which actually drives a series of broken relationships in, in the church. And the reason is because the Bible says that there is only one kind of love that can protect and restore all of your relationships, and it starts with a phrase. Because if you can do this phrase, everything else will come into a good perspective. And here's the phrase. The phrase is, now I'm going to read this from the message. Now the reason I'm reading this from the message this morning because I, I think the Message Bible, though in modern vernacular, says it very well. I don't think it varies from any doctrine, any theology. I think it just says it the way that it is. The truth is that we have problems with this kind of love because we're not, we're not facing something. Look what, look what it says here in Luke chapter 6 in the message. It says, to you who are ready for the truth. In other words, let's just get through all of the stuff. Let's forget it all for a second. And let me just say something to you. And let's just, let's get right down to the problem. I'm telling you this right now. He says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Loving your enemy allows you to cross a bridge. A bridge that was only crossed by the grace of God, by Jesus himself, when he went to Calvary, when he spilled his blood, when he was buried in the ground, and when he rose again on the third day, he loved those who did not love him. It's a love that you can only understand by following him across the bridge that takes us to the place where something dies inside of us. He says... Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you and not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. I love that. If someone slaps you in the face, take it. If they grab your shirt, gift wrap your coat for them. If they take advantage of you, use it as an opportunity to practice the servant life. Live generously. Here's a great rule for you, he says. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Here it is in the message. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? See, here, see here's what happens when people who you have a problem with, God does not take them out of your life. Because this is what we pray. Lord, See, here's what we do. We go from, it's like, how, how do you pray for them? You know, we, we had, if you, if you noticed this morning, you came in, there's something missing in, on our church property, and that is that all of our church signs were stolen. So my question is, I didn't know I started a second campus somewhere. Evidently, somebody needs signs that say the Pearl Church. It, it's kind of like, it's, it's, kind, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when someone breaks into your car, because this happens all the time. It's kind of like when someone breaks into your car and they steal your Bible. I said to a guy one time, somebody broke into my car. 
What did they take? My Bible. And, and, and they're so angry. I was like, did they take your stereo? No. Did they steal any money? No. Well, what happened? Well, they broke into my car, and there was nothing in it but my Bible, so they took it. And I was like, are you angry about that? Yeah. And they go, Old Testament. Now think about it. If they're going to steal something from you and they steal your Bible, please. Pray they read it. It's like, why did they steal my signs? They say the Pearl Church. Why did they steal the Bible? What, what, the, God must be setting them up. Are you kidding me? And like, what did they steal? They stole my, they stole my, all my CDs. What, they, what was it? It was all worship music. Can you not consider that a seed? And just say, I sow it into their life. You know? People, people stole our trailer. It had everything we, everything in it. We never had the people stole our trailer. Someone in Denver, Colorado has figured out, I'll say this on the podcast. People, someone in Denver, Colorado has figured out that churches have stuff in trailers. And somebody, a church gets their trailer stolen every single month. If not two out of three out of the last few weeks. We actually helped replace the trailer from a church that got stolen a few weeks ago. And you know what? We're going to do it again. And we're going to do it again. But part of me wants to go Old Testament. Because I'm doing the work of the Lord. Right? This is what we do. They stole our church's trailer. They stole my Bible. They stole my worship CDs. They stole my Pearl Church kid signs. I mean, honestly, this, this be, somebody, just, somebody has such a problem with stealing. They don't care what they steal. They actually, in the first trailer, they actually stole signs that said Pearl Kids with my children's pictures on them with a big smile. I hope that they're still looking at that sign somewhere. We go, we go Davidic on them. Manic. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, they stole my stuff. This is half of the Psalms. Burn them from the, the planet. Let the sun scorch their every from the face of the earth. Scorch their cattle, their sheep, their pets, their house. You read David. I'm telling you, David, David had issues. He would pray to God that God would wipe people, every generation from the face of the earth. And then on the next page, he would be like, Jesus, I'm really sorry about yesterday. I was having a really bad day. And the whole scorched every generation from the face of the earth thing with the hot sun. I'm so sorry. You are the God of the stars. The wind is blowing gently on my face. I'm having a peaceful moment. And I'm penning this because I love you. You're the God of the heavens and the earth. And then the next day. He's going after somebody again. What, what happens is, is that, that we have these, these feelings. So, so, and then, and then in the old, we go old, we go old school. Somebody steals something from the church, or from, and we start singing old school songs. Like, we're all Jesus culture in Hillsong until somebody takes something. And then one of you, like, walks into the church. I went to the enemy's camp, and I... Oh, see, some of you lost a lot of stuff. Jesus wants to heal you. 
took back what he stole from me. I remember old school, we used to sing that song for like an hour at a time. Some of you don't know those days in the days of 20, 24 minute worship services and 34 minute sermons, but we used to sing one song for an hour. We would sing, he, we went to the enemy's camp and took it all back. We must have lost a lot of stuff because we sang that over and over and over. He took back what he stole from me. And then there was another part. And, 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 but there's something here. If we can't do this, let me, let me show you the kind of love that turns lives upside down and transforms cities. We, you, you can't escape it. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do to the truth of what love does and what love is. Let me read it to you one more time. It says, to, if you're ready for the truth, I'm telling you this, you have to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst in you. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. This morning I came in, I know a few of you follow me on social media, but I came in this morning and I was just feeling lighthearted and, and trying to stay out of you know, David's um, world. And I had my phone and I just was like, hey, look, there's no signs, there's no signs, there's no signs, Everywhere, all of our church signs are gone. Our church signs are gone, yeah. And I'm just like having fun with it. And then I went up and I was, and I put my phone right in front of some people's faces and they didn't know what to do, I have to admit, it was a little weird. And I said, you're my sign. And I said, you're my sign. You're my sign. And, and you're right. I went around to everybody and said, hey, smile. You're my sign today. You know, what the Bible, you know what the Bible says? You have two ways to look at things. I got something stolen. And so, Lord, whoever stole those trailers from those churches, I bind them in the name of Jesus. I rebuke them. I pray that fires of down on there. I hope that the trailer breaks down. And, and we be, or we can go like this. Father, whoever stole that stuff, I pray for their soul, their family, their children, their marriage, their life. I pray that they read the Bible they stole from my car. And all the notes that I put in there, even my testimonies in there, I hope they stumble upon that page. Right? You're my sign. See, we, we can tell people, hey, have you ever noticed when, see, here's what Christians do. We don't have, we don't have the tenacity that this kind of love takes. We don't have, we don't have a, a tenacious Jesus spirit about love because what happens is, is that after you love somebody who's hurting, then after two or three appointments, now I understand there's a balance to this, but after two or three appointments, you're just like, bro, read the book of Romans, call me next week. <laughs> I have reached my love limit, so I'm gonna recommend a book for you you need to read this book. Sometimes when Christians give books to other Christians struggling, it's their way of saying, I don't want to spend time with you anymore. <laughs> Love takes time. And the Bible says that you, instead of giving someone, every time you offer a book to somebody, I just want you to ask yourself a question. Do you remember the verse that says, you are a living letter read by every person? You're my sign. You're my sign. I went up to, to Dustin, who, are, who does our, our coffee, and he wasn't looking at me, and I put my phone right at the back of his head. I said, you're my sign. And he turned around, and he fell into the wall. And, uh, and I just walked away. I don't know why I told you that, but you're my sign. You're my sign. So here, there's something that, that we have to understand, and that is that, that Jesus... 
has given us the key to authenticate the love that we preach. Part of that experience is loving the people who hate you, the people who wronged you, the people who lied about you, the people who are the closest to you. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the people that are the most difficult for us to deal with biblically are in our own family? I used to go to these dinners in, in, in Oregon. I lived in Oregon with my family. I would go to these dinners, like, and our family was very dysfunctional. I would go sit down at the Thanksgiving table, and I was barely even a Christian, but I prayed at Thanksgiving, and I would pray things like, oh, Lord, here we go again. Please, oh, God, let there be no arguments, no fights. Let nothing be set on fire today. If you can hear me, Lord. My family is so out of control. I would love to just have a... And what, what happens is, is that, that the, the people that have the most impact on our own spirit, that allow us to grow the most, are often the people that are the closest to us. And if we can learn how to experience this kind of love in those moments, but what we do is we don't, we don't want that moment, but we're going to talk about that guy on TV and he screwed up and this person, and we push everything out to the social media world where God doesn't see that. He sees our hearts as individuals and as people. And he says, I need you to learn how to do something. Let me read it to you again. I just want to tell you the truth for a minute, if you really want to grow, you need to love your enemies. That kind of love walks you across a bridge to a place that no other, no other truth can get you to. It's a kind of love that authenticates who we are as Christians. Hypocrisy leaves the church when we commit to each other and love each other. Hypocrisy, oh, they're, they're hypocrites. Look what I saw on TV. Forget that. You know that's not true. The reason why you're hurt is because how a pastor treated you, how a small group leader treated you, how a brother treated you, how a friend treated you, someone lied about you. It's much more contained and more personal than that, let them bring out the best in you. If someone gives you a hard time, pray for them. If they slap you in the face, take it. If they grab your shirt, gift wrap your coat and give it to them. If they take advantage of you, then, then it's an opportunity. Have you ever had a character building opportunity? I remember the first time I said that to my children. I thought, I actually have just become a father. I said it for the first time. A this is a character-building opportunity, right? Nobody wants to hear it, hear that, but the truth is that, that it's people in our lives that cause us, help us to grow. Um, use it as a way to practice the servant life. Live generously. Here's a simple rule. Ask yourself what, what you want people to do to you, then take the initiative. Can everyone just say the word Take. Take the initiative. Here's the other, things that, the other thing that Christians do. Christians have not learned how to practice Matthew 18 or some of these principles. When something happens, we just sit and we wait. And we get more bitter, more upset because of what someone sees. It's kind of like, for those of you who like to cook, right? I love, I love soup. I love to cook soups. Now, not everyone in my family likes soup, and I know that. So sometimes I will cook a soup and know that it's all for me, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but when you cook a soup, you have to do something. You have to reduce it. 
you reduce it. In other words, the more that it sits on the stove and simmers, the more powerful the flavor gets. Now flip that over. The longer you sit on an offense, the longer that you sit on something, it actually doesn't get better. You can't water it down with more friends or water it down with a few good services. All it does is it, is it just gets more confusing, but it's still there. I can still taste it when, when you and I have a chat. I can still see it in your eyes or, or in your body language when you won't worship on a Sunday. What happens is if we don't take care of it, it doesn't get better. It actually gets stronger. That thing happening in us gets stronger. He says, you, what you've got to do is ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then take the initiative. Go do it. Take care of it. Don't let it sit. Don't let it wait. Love your enemy. Love that person. And if you only love the lovable, what do you want? A pat on the back? Because anybody, the Bible says, can do that. As a matter of fact, in the next few verses, it just tell, it says it over and over again. Well, you, you want a pat on the back because you love your friends? Everybody, can, any, everybody does that. You want, a, you want a pat on the back because... Because someone was good to you and, and, and they gave you something and so you're good to them. Anybody does that. How many of you, if someone was really nice to you, wouldn't be nice back? That's easy. Or how about generosity? He says, what, you want a pat on the back because, because you gave some money and they returned it with interest to you? Why, why are you looking for a pat on the back? He says, no. If you want to understand what I'm talking about, give to your enemies and expect nothing in return except the seed of the love that you just planted. Here's the rule. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative. Do it to them. If you love only the lovable, what do you want? See, there, there's a kind of love that we have, we have to understand that shapes the kingdom of God. It is one of the, the cornerstones. It's a pillar of the kingdom of God. It's one of the questions that creates the matrix by which we live our entire life. If you love only the people that love you, what do you want? A trophy? A pat on the back? Jesus said, pick up your cross and, and follow me across this. Walk the street with me. Walk it to, the, walk it to, to Calvary. Love your enemies to the point of, I will love you and I will not change. I will love you and it's not going to go away. I will love you and I will not attack you. I will love you and I will not respond in kind. And every time that you have that experience, you will feel like you are being hung on the cross. And I think that's what Jesus meant. Only his love takes us to a place that goes against what the culture with the media, everything we read, everything we see in the world today is a culture. What, what do you want to pat on? You want to pat on the back? Why don't we love in a way that only Jesus loved? We will experience a life that only Jesus can give. Can I hear an amen? Now stand to your feet with me. We're going to wrap it up right now. And uh, I'm sure that I went over. I'm not even sure. I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know. The Lord said preach. Um, so do me a favor. Will you bow your heads with me quickly as we wrap this up today? Um, we won't come to the altars. I just, I just want to, to pray for you. This morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, to you who have been hurt, to you who have been wounded or disappointed, 
to you who have seen someone in a light, a mentor, a friend, a pastor, a teacher, a father, to you who looked to someone who disappointed you, and so you're questioning your relationship or even the validity of Christ. To those of you who have been hurt and it's impacted your Christianity and your walk, God wants you to know today that he loves you unconditionally. He loves you at a measure that you could not fathom. He loves you. He does not change. He won't go away. He won't stop pursuing you. He will never never treat you the way that you have been treated by others. God loves you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need healing, if your heart has been wounded, if you have been it become embittered uh, towards the church or a church leader, when I count to three, just lift your hand. I need to pray for you. One, two, three. If that's you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. God wants to, to um, set you free this morning. Anybody else? You're, you're carrying a hurt and a wound from somebody in your life, and it's hard to let it go, and it's impacting your walk with God. Lift your hand right now. Let me see who you are. Thank you all over the room. Jesus, I thank you this morning for what you're doing in the hearts of the people. Your love is so powerful. Your love is so incredible. It supersedes our feelings and our emotions. And today, Jesus, we receive what you have for us. And Father, I'll pray for, for all of us and for the church. I'll pray that we are the kind of people that we need to be here. We need to love our enemies. But for those here who are struggling, I pray for them. And I pray that we, we bring these things to the altar. We lay them at the feet of Jesus. And we're asking you, Lord, to heal, bring forgiveness, bring a, a wholeness, a healing into their hearts and their minds today. Church, pray this with me as we close. Say, Lord Jesus. I bring this to you. I love you today. I receive your healing and your forgiveness. Help me, Father, to love those with a Jesus love who have hurt me. Father, I give it all to you. I pray, Jesus, that you would set me free. Now, church, say this. Say, Lord Jesus, let us love those who do not love us. And let us experience a power and a grace that only comes through the cross of Jesus. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Will you clap for Jesus today? I love you so much. Let's sing a song.